It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's Monday, May 18th, and you're tuned into the Cleveland Baseball Talk podcast. I'm Joe Noga, and I'm joined today uh, by our, our guest, uh, pinch hitting for Hoinsey today, is Doug Lamarice, our Cleveland.com columnist. Doug, great to talk to you. Uh, Hoinsey's uh, got the week off this week, and we're, we're going to fill it with a lot of guests and a, a lot of folks who we haven't talked to a lot this, this, uh, this offseason, I guess, basically still. Uh, good to talk to you and, and get some thoughts on, on a couple of different topics from you. I am now envisioning, uh, like Hoinsey walking up the dugout steps to go up to the plate and like the, you as the manager telling him, no, wait, Hoinsey, I'm, I'm pinch hitting for you with Doug and Hoinsey, like coming back in the dugout and like beating the water jug to death because he's so angry to have me of all people pinch hitting for him. So, um, I'll do my best Hoinsey. It's just a lefty righty matchup, man. Sorry. Are you left-handed hitter? Uh, I, I, I am equally ineffective on both sides, so I'll there do whatever go. it takes. There you go. Uh, yeah, um, it's, it, it's not that, you know, Hoinsey's off for, for the week, and uh, it's a good time to be off because as soon as he comes back, things are probably going to start ramping up with uh, a lot of the, the decisions with, with this um, agreement between the, the Players Association and the, the owners. So, who knows? We'll 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 see when we get there. Uh, what they what they managed to get into. Uh, I wanted to before we jump into that. I wanted to talk about last night. Uh, I know uh, a lot of people across the country. I was on Twitter all night watching, sort of second screening this, uh, the Last Dance finale with Michael Jordan, the documentary series on ESPN. Uh, I was fascinated last week by the the whole involvement with uh, Terry Francona, Mike Barnett in the the seventh episode of the series. But, you know, once that series wrapped up and a lot of people uh, thought very highly of it, it was very well done, uh, I, I, the thought comes to mind, you know, who on the baseball side of things would you like to see or would anybody like to see uh, a 10-part major ESPN documentary series uh, done? And who would even fit the bill or the, the, the category of a Michael Jordan to be able to have something like that done? Uh, Derek Jeter is the, the, the first you know, guy that comes to mind, his name, you know, thrown out there and who, who would have sort of the, the credentials to, to warrant that sort of a level of involvement. Uh, uh, the cha- I think five championships for, for Jeter, uh, in his time and, you know, 3000 hits, uh, first ballot hall of famer. Uh, I, I think he's probably the closest we could come. 
He seems boring. I'm bored already. I'm bored by Derek Jeter. What's interesting about him? Is he ruthless? It's like, yeah, you won a lot, but then what? He, he won a lot of rings, and he dated like a lot of famous actresses. Well, Is that's the part I think a lot of ruthless? people would want to find out about, though. I mean, I get it. There's a Minka Kelly episode, but like once you get past that, what? But what is he? I don't think. Is he interesting? Is he? Does he hold like the best part of Jordan wasn't just that he's great, it's that he was how ruthless he was to be great. I don't know that I sense that ruthlessness in Jeter. Am I missing that? Is, is there a Derek Jeter hit list, I guess? Like, like the Jordan hit list was obvious because they went through it episode by episode, and you could see how he was settling old scores like with that. Would, would Derek Jeter have a hit list of people who have wronged him over the years? No, I, 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 don't, I don't think he would. I had a couple other people in mind, but I was trying to think about, you know, there's a lot of good athletes who are boring. Like the main, if the main thing about you is that you're good and the most interesting thing about you is you're good, you're not that interesting. So I, like I, I, Jeter crossed my mind, but actually as I made my list, Joe, I actually started getting mad at baseball actually because <laughs> of, of where we are with this. Well, Mike Trout, who's, uh, you know, nobody's going to argue the best player in, in baseball right now. Mike Trout, you could fill about a 10-minute documentary on, on – uh, interesting things about Mike Trout. He's yeah. he's just the, the nicest guy, and you never you never hear, see, or know anything about him. Uh, right. So, so you, you're right. Exactly. Mike, you take the best player right now, and he's automatically one who you wouldn't even wanna wanna know anything about. Uh, I, so uh, who, who, uh, who any any other player that you could think just in the uh, not even maybe in the social media generation, anything like that 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 would even rate something like this. So when I tried to think of excellence and ruthless obsession with excellence, right? Those two things combined. Um, I thought of three hitters and I thought of one pitcher, but he's a little bit of a step down and maybe, maybe two pitchers. But um, the first guy I thought of was Ted Williams, who was just like a cranky perfectionist, right? And obviously it's too late for Ted Williams, but I think like, I don't think Ted Williams cared what people thought of him. Mm -hmm. All he cared about was mastering the art of hitting. And then the two guys that I thought of that are of the more modern era that are still around that we could do something like this. This is what made me mad is because they've both been ruined by off field things that if you did a 10 part documentary on them, you would deal so much with the off field stuff. You would Mm -hmm. not spend much time with the ruthless obsession with excellence. Right. And it's Pete Rose and Barry Bonds. There you go. And uh, those are the guys, but you can't do it because you can't do Pete Rose with the, and ignore the gambling, and you can't do Barry Bonds and ignore the steroids. But I have no interest in watching anything else about either of those subjects. I want Rose the competitor, and I want Bonds who took – hitting even before he did steroids took hitting to another level and when he got up to the plate it was like you assumed he was going to get a hit I don't know that in my lifetime I've ever had a a hitter who was as fearsome at the plate as Barry Bonds but I don't know how you do Barry Bonds without spending five of the ten episodes on how big his head got right well I mean in the Jordan series they spent considerable time on on the gambling and they even 
got into the whole conspiracy theories about, you know, why he left for, for baseball because of, if, if that was, you know, I'm not even going to mention it because it's all been debunked, but why wouldn't you want to say, why wouldn't you have a series like that about Barry Bonds, about Pete Rose that would involve their major flaws? I, I think you, you would have to have that, right? Because I think it's with Jordan, his flaw, the gambling flaw, um, was an interesting sort of sidelight to the competitive excellence. And I feel like with both Rose and Bonds, um, their flaw almost overwhelmed their excellence by the end. Like the, when you think, when I say Barry Bonds, what's the first thing you think of? Probably steroids. When I say Pete Rose, what's the first thing you think of? Probably gambling. Mm-hmm. When I say Michael Jordan, the first thing, when I say Michael Jordan, you don't think Atlantic City. You think right. six rings. You think all the shots he made. You think of the shrug. You think of the dunk contest. You think of how ruthless he was in winning. And this is a part of him. I just wish Bonds, I think, is the closest. And Bonds didn't need, would not have needed any extra juice right. to be <laughs> That's funny way to, to put be, it. To be elite. He already was that in Pittsburgh. He could have continued on a path. Obviously, he got some bump. But I, when I think of him now standing in that box and that quick little choked-up left-handed swing that could hit at 500 feet, man, he, he didn't have to have steroids to do that. So I think Bonds is the closest. And now I'm getting sort of, you know, again, why did baseball have to do this to us? Because that's the easy comparison. That's that era of baseball, right? I mean, if we're talking right. what Jordan – in the 90s, the 90s in baseball was ruined by steroids and so and the other guy the pitcher that i think of i mean maybe nolan ryan but then more who i think of is clemens is roger clemens who again Mm -hmm. is sort of on that same path ruthless had like multiple peaks to his career but but how do you get away from the steroids and i'm just not that interested in baseball steroids discussions so I don't think it would ever happen, but those are the people that come to mind. That was a great era. That maybe that's because I was covering baseball. That was uh-huh. a great era of baseball in the '90s. But man, a lot of it got screwed up. When you try to do historical stuff, there's like immediately a roadblock. Yeah, we're seeing a lot of that on replays on ESPN and Major League Baseball Network. Uh, you know, lately when they're showing all these classic games, uh, the reason Barry Bonds jumped into my mind uh, initially was because uh, he was involved with the steroids, but. You know, the reason he sort of got into the whole steroid thing was his jealousy of the attention that McGuire and Sosa got in their home run chase. So, I mean, that I think makes it compelling as well. You know, when when Barry Bonds looks over and sees Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa juiced up and hitting all these home runs and thinks, well, I'm the better baseball player all around. Why why am I not getting the attention? I, I think there's a lot of stuff that you could dig into with the documentary series on that. So... I, I, don't, I don't know. Like, yeah, Barry Bonds would be a good one. Uh, the thought occurred to me, um, I, I'll throw out a, a pitcher's name, uh, a Randy Johnson, when you talk about ruthlessness and drive for excellence. I, I think he's a, a guy probably not touched by the, the steroid implications. He would be a good subject. But then I, I sort of – I had two thoughts when it came to who would be Indians guys you would want to see a documentary on. Not – Maybe not on the grand scale of a 10-part documentary series, but maybe just a 30 for 30. Uh, I would love to see a, a, a Ken Burns-style Bob Feller documentary uh, that, that could cover, you know, all of his, uh, you know, his time away with the, in the military in the U.S. Navy. 
And then for the ESPN generation, uh, Albert Bell would be a compelling subject on that, uh, just to, to see how he went from being just this methodical uh, hitter and, and all the stuff that just goes on in, in the back of his mind uh, and, and, and sort of fueled him and, dr- and drove him, I think would be a, a really good uh, subject for one of those documentaries. I mean, Bob Feller is a legitimate American hero. Mm-hmm. Um, so like for people who don't know Bob Feller's story, I mean, like uh, there's obviously stuff out there on him. Uh, he would be great. And, and I don't know if we're, could Paul Hoynes be the producer of the Albert Bell? Does I mean, Hoynesy and Bell are good, right? I mean, if someone's going to shape, help shape and tell a tale of Albert Bell, who better than Hoynesy? A Hoynesy, a Hoynesy video production. I think that would be amazing. A uh, Hoynesy joint. <laughs> likely. That's, we yeah, better, I, I mean, he, he would have to bring in somebody to, to direct the documentary. So, yeah, maybe he gets Spike Lee. Yeah. Spike and Spike and Hoinsey. get Hoinsey off furlough. Tell him to get. We need you, Hoinsey. We have a. We have a. While you were gone, uh, Joe and I came up with an idea for you. Could you have a documentary on Albert Bell done in like the uh, next three weeks? Yeah. Well, and I I I saw the interview uh, after the Last Dance aired the uh, the Sports Center. They talked to the to the director. They were still putting together some of those episodes. You know, while we were on while while quarantine was beginning here. They only had four episodes in the can. Uh, so the first four episodes, of the, so the first two weeks were basically already, you know, set and ready to go. They were still finishing up this documentary up until like last week. So I, I didn't realize that. That's pretty impressive that they were doing this from home. And the 10th the episode didn't get finished until right up before like Thursday. I will say uh, it is an amazing achievement, but having done this, been in this business for 25 years, there's nothing better than a deadline to make you do your work. So like on one hand, it's like, oh, we're working on this documentary. And then they're like, it's starting in May. And they were like, holy crap. But you know what? Sometimes when you're up against it, it makes you get down to business and you do good stuff. Yeah. You just described our entire situation here on quarantine. (laughs) It's nothing, no, no, no deadlines, nothing up against anything. It's just, uh, you know, and and moving things up uh, because there's no content coming out lately. Also, it's it's definitely forced us to work in different ways. I am pro-deadline. I need it. (laughs) I need it. All right. Well, hey, I wanted to get into uh, just uh, for the the second half of this this abbreviated podcast today, I just wanted to sort of get into the the news that came out over the weekend, really the only big baseball news that came out over the weekend was the release of a 67-page document uh, that uh, a memo that went from Major League Baseball to the members of the Players Association uh, outlining the safety and health protocols that would be necessary uh, for a restart to the season. Uh, hopefully sometime in July is what they're aiming for. Uh, also like a, a three-week spring training sometime in June. Uh, but uh, there was initially a, a little bit of blowback from the players but uh, just real briefly, let me run down some of the some of the highlights for you, Doug, and, and you can uh, let me know what you think of of some of these. Uh, showering encouraged at home or in the hotel when you're on the road, not at the ballpark. Uh, no spitting, obviously. High fives or hugs for the players. Uh, they will eat prepackaged meals after the game. There's no buffet line in the clubhouse. Uh, they will sit in the stands or in the dugout six feet apart. So. Uh, no fans in the stands, but the players will will find their way into the stands and, and sit in rows two by two. Uh, 
and, and, and lots of testing, testing uh, an, an overwhelming amount of testing. They'll be tested, uh, scanned at, when they arrive at the ballpark. They'll be tested multiple times a week, and those tests will be uh, available hopefully within 24 hours as they've converted one of their uh, PED testing laboratories into a coronavirus testing lab. Uh, what's, what's your initial feeling on uh, just the enormity of this protocol of these of these rules that these players are going to have to follow in order to get baseball going so i i understand it's a 67 page document and it covers basically every single specific but really it feels like to me it boils down to three things check your temperature stay away from people and don't share stuff and that's basically it and yes there are a hundred and or 500 aspects to all those rules when you do something like this, you try to think of every question that somebody would have because you do something and someone says, yeah, but what about blank? And it's like, okay, we want to have the, but what about blank answers in here already? So they do that, but, but it really, to me, and, and you can couch it a certain way to make it feel draconian and make it feel like what is even the point of this, except it's just, check your temperature, stay away from each other, and don't share stuff. And so I get it. And, and, and you know, you're used to, like, having a Gatorade jug in the dugout and get – and now you can't do that. Okay. And you're used to – all right, well, you'll just go get on the bus. You're not going out to dinner in your uniform all sweaty. You just get on the bus all sweaty. My God, they did that when they were 14 mm-hmm. after their American Legion game. You got on the bus sweaty and you went home and took a shower. It's not the end of the world. So I think it's – I actually think it's it's pretty basic. And I know – I saw – I know, like, the, for instance, the state of Ohio, I think, has some of the same guidelines with, like, local baseball coming back. Like, you can't spit. And I saw some people on Twitter who were like, oh, yeah, you can't stop me from spitting. And it's like, listen, man. <laughs> like, if that's, that's the- your – like, <laughs> like give me liberty or give me death. You can't tell me not to spit. Like, sure. if you try to tell me – if you're going to take my tobacco away – I'm going to revolt. It's like, uh, then I don't know what to tell you, right? I mean, if if that's your line, I can't give that up. Wars have actually been fought over people taking away tobacco, so that's not too far-fetched. However, if that's the hill you're going to die on, I I, I think there's a bigger picture here to be seen. So, I mean, like, I get it. I mean, like, you can pretend it's like, uh, you know, well, you can't tell me, you know, whatever. I mean, I think the, the problem here, is and in all this stuff it's like we all have to follow rules and if you think you're too good to follow the rules then it's going to be a problem and if you think you only care about yourself and you're not going to look out for anybody else then it's then we're going to have a problem right i mean this is a societal thing you're part of society the problem is athletes if you are a major league baseball player your whole life has proven that you are special Mm -hmm. you are different you haven't had to follow the rules necessarily. You've, you've earned the right for special privilege. And so now to tell the elite of the elite, and often if you get to the top of your profession, sometimes you do it because you don't listen. Because someone said, well, everybody's doing this. And you said, yeah, screw that. I'm doing this. Now you tell those people, you have to follow these basic guidelines. And I think it would make sense that you might get more pushback from elite people who have lived much of their lives saying the rules don't apply to me. So I do understand while I I really do think it's kind of basic stuff, 
I do understand if there might be some battles over it. it it's funny as you're saying that I'm sitting here, the, 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 the guy and the name that pops into my mind when you're saying, uh, well, I made my living not doing things the way people told me how to do them is, is Trevor Bauer. I mean, he's, he's the guy who came up going, well, I'm not going to do your throwing program. I'm going to do my throwing program. And that's what turned him into uh, an elite pitcher. Uh, it's funny that he would be one of the first ones who's actually come out and said some of these things are ridiculous in this, in this protocol. However, uh, I, I think Trevor Bauer is actually, you know, one who would buy into all of the, the health and safety protocols more so than a, a, any sort of agreement on the financial side, which is, you know, where this is all going. I think the, the, the health and safety protocols are, are going to be implemented either a hundred percent or, you know, in, in some majority fashion, I don't, I don't, is, is there anyone that you don't think that they would buy into or, or would, would definitely get out, uh, have, have the players union have that one tossed out. I, I, I can't see any I, of them reasonably. Uh, I mean, there, isn't there one about like, when you get to first base, you can't talk to each other. I think that, <laughs> might, I mean, like the, and, and oh. the problem with all this is like, what's the enforcement going to be? Yeah. Like if you get to first base and you say, What's up to the first baseman? Is the umpire going to call you out for starting a conversation? What if the first baseman whispers to you, hey, man, what's going on? And they don't hear the whisper, but they hear the base runner say, hey, man, not much. Now, so, I mean, that I think seems, you know, don't high five, don't hug, don't that's, hock. That's going to be hard. Don't hock your tobacco. That is at least, I mean, it's like you can't high five secretly. You right. do have to go out of your way to high five. If you're not really supposed to talk, if you're supposed to stand there in silence, I don't know. But what's the enforcement? I don't. I, maybe I didn't get to that part in it. What is the enforcement, Joe? If someone high fives, is there anything more than "Hey, don't do that"? Or if a team says "Screw it, we're high fiving," do they forfeit? Like, what's the? You can have rules, but often with any rule, the speed limit is 65. If you go 75, you don't go to jail. Right. You might get a fine. You might not even get a fine. You might not even get stopped. So the rules are one thing. How they choose and how strictly they choose to enforce them is another. Yeah, I, I would assume that there's some sort of uh, – that they would have some sort of fine or, you know, fine structure of, of some sort for, for the team, not necessarily for the players. I think the, you can find, find the organization for uh, uh, having players disobey and, and hug and, and high-five or, or spit or whatever. But I don't think you, can, you, you would be able to really – because the players' union would definitely be able to just, you know, argue against any of those, those fines. I, I think everything would be protested if that was the case. I uh, thought the, the most interesting rule that I thought was the hardest to enforce is the one about how the Astros have to sanitize their trash can before they, they <laughs> beat out the signals. Um, well, that's very difficult when you're just really focused on cheating – Sometimes mm -hmm. it's hard to stay sanitized while you're cheating. Well, that, that's the funny thing. Did you see the rule in there that, that outlaws or prohibits bench-clearing brawls? Boy, there's a team that's really going to appreciate that one, and it's the Houston Astros. Yeah. I don't know. Just You just chuck a baseball, like throw. I don't know what you do. It's like maybe that's – it's like everyone will pay the fine. The first team that pays the Astros, it's like just someone beat the crap out of the Astros. We'll pay the fine. Right. For, uh, for not social distancing. Well, so, you're putting it on all the teams in the American League West and the National League West. So you're, you're talking about that first Dodgers-Astros uh, matchup is going to be 
pretty epic in terms of, uh, you know, the, the, the storylines there. But Jose Altuve has to catch a ball on the ribs, doesn't he? It's, it, it has and, to happen. I, and it's but not I guess gonna, so you, you can hit him, now he can't charge the mound. So maybe it's actually go. bad it's for the perfect Astros. perfect situation, yeah. The, the first nine guys to the plate are all just going to get plunked. They'll get like six runs out of it, but it'll be worth it. So, yeah. Right. Well, so that means the Astros can't defend their guys, but it, because it can't, they can't touch off a bench clearing brawl. So, right. Sorry, Astros. Oh, uh-huh. No fighting back. So, uh, you know, it, we, we talk about it in jest, but that, that there are practical things. Baseball is still going to be baseball when this starts. I, I think you talk about the no talking, the fir- no communication between the first baseman and a guy on first base. That's going to happen. Once you start playing baseball, baseball things are going to happen, I, I think. And I think they, there needs to be flexibility and, and adjustment as, as it goes on. Do you think maybe any of these rules could get relaxed if they start playing and they, they sort of get into this uh, this season and as things progress, uh, maybe in, into August or, or so? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think they would change the rules. I think the enforcement would just relax, right? That if in the beginning the umpires are like, hey, no talking, hey, no talking, hey, no talking, maybe by after a month they, they don't do that anymore. And, um, you know, but all it's going to take is like a positive test and maybe some minor community spread to like scare everybody straight again mm-hmm. too. So, um, on, and on the other hand, but this is – Honestly, what's going to play out in baseball is going to mirror what's playing out in society. As the world reopens to varying degrees, we're all looking to see are the positive tests and the illnesses and the deaths, are they going to go up? If they are going to go up, how much? What is the trade-off? I think everybody understands that there's probably some trade-off of getting back and interacting. There's a cost, but how great is the cost? So you know, I just don't know that it'll be that different. What we're watching in baseball is what we're all going to be experiencing to varying degrees going out. Are we going to go to a restaurant? Are we going to go to a public pool? Are we going to go get our hair cut? Like we're all going to be experiencing the same thing. And I think whatever happens in society, baseball will reflect that. If there are more cases, then I think everybody will pull back and be more cautious again. If everybody feels like, you know what, we went back to kind of normal, and nobody I know is getting sick, then I think we'll all let our guards down. Maybe, maybe not correctly. Maybe then there. So we'll just, we're going to all judge it by what's the cost and baseball won't be any different. Right. And, uh, you know, as we move forward, as we, we make progress on sort of like, like you said, that, that return to not necessarily normal, but a return to what we, what we were doing before, uh, baseball is a part of that. I, it's, it's sort of in, it can be this great driver for us to, to sort of feel normal again as, as a country. Uh, we, you've spoken about that before uh, with us about how, how it's, it's important to see sports on TV and how it's, it's a unifying thing. So I think it's, it's held in high enough regard. It's valued enough by enough people that it, it's worth, you know, at least trying and doing and, and seeing, you know, what we're, what we're able, how far we're able to take this, uh, you know, with being smart about the risks in, in mind. And it does feel like, I think the most, uh, the places where they're going to have to 
go by the safeguards the most is in indoor things, right? Like mm-hmm. in the clubhouse, they just right. can't let guys sit around and hang out in the clubhouse and right. um, in the hotels. I mean, like the, playing the game, I think is actually the easiest thing. It's all the indoor things where if you're supposed to be by yourself in your hotel room, are there 10 guys in the room playing cards all night? And one of those, now all of a sudden 10 guys have it. It's those interior things where the players, it's not going to be on TV. There aren't going to be umpires there. There might not even be team personnel there. And, and again, if, guy, if you're supposed to stay in your room, but guys hang out together, who's going to stop them? And who's going to be the player that says, hey, man, no, we shouldn't be doing this. Um, that, I think, is going to be uh, – who are you going to – you know, your families can come in. Well, you know, sometimes guys want to see people who aren't their family. Like, is that <laughs> – that kind of – I think the problem with all of us is you have rules and then you think, well, just I am going to break this one rule and nobody will find out about it. But if you have 20 of the 25 guys on the team all secretly breaking a rule that they think they're the only one breaking – and now all of a sudden somebody's going to get it yeah, because you broke. you've broke the bubble broke. Right. So do I trust 27 year old millionaires <laughs> to make, to never break those rules guys who have never had the rules apply to them? Right. No, right. <laughs> I think, I think they won't high five on the field, but I don't know what they're going to be doing in their hotel room. And that I think is the toughest thing. Right. Didn't uh, a German soccer league, I, I think, just got started back up and already one of their uh, their managers is quarantined for, you know, seven days or 14 days because he left the hotel room to go buy toothpaste. And so now he has to self-isolate. Uh, I, I, these are the things. And what happens when a, a team does that? Or let's say uh, let's say a Mike Trout goes out and and goes to see his newborn kid at some point this summer. Uh, and he's away and Mike Trout has to miss X number of games for the angels. Uh, you know, that, that, that's not a great situation when you, you could, and, and there's so many ways to, for, for teams to, to game it. You talk about the Astros cheating in, in different ways. What if they, uh, you know, form conspiracy theories to, to get Mike Trout, you know, uh, isolated for, for a series that they play against them. It, it's, it, we're, we're getting into like, you know, uncharted conspiracy theory uh, level here uh, with things that could happen. But uh, yeah, again, it's, it's a, it's a weird situation. It's, it's definitely uh, given us a lot to chew on and a lot to think about. Uh, But, but the number one thing it's, it's a step in the right direction. It's a step towards getting back to uh, seeing games on the field. And I think a a lot of people are, are, you know, excited about that. And and that's the thing too. Um, and again, I think this applies to society and it applies to baseball. You don't have to get 100% right. You've got to put all the rules in place. The world does not function on 100% adherence to rules. The world functions on there are rules if most of the people do their best. And I know there's stuff out there. I've seen things like if 80% of the people wear masks that are 60% effective, like that's enough. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to be 100% of the people wearing masks that are 100% effective. But the way you get 80% of the people to do it is to have the expectation that 100% do it because right. you're always going to have the 20% who say no. So they have this expectation knowing that some of these baseball guys are going to break some rules. But as long as 
as long as it's not 70% are breaking the rule, if it's only 10 or 15%, I think you probably will still be in the range of okay. But you have to be draconian at the start mm-hmm. so that it's really only the really bad rule breakers who break it. You can't be lax. And then the guys on the fence are like, you know what? It doesn't seem like they care that much. I'm just going to go get some toothpaste. You have to be like, dude, no toothpaste. So, I mean, I think I get it, but I think we all have to be, we have to hold ourselves to a high standard while also understanding that there are going to be some people who, who go against that. Right. But we can all still be in the realm of okay. All right, Doug. Well, uh, we're uh, running out of time here. I just wanted to uh, mention to anybody listening, if you want, uh, text updates, Indian subtext is uh, the way to go. Uh, cleveland.com slash subtext to uh, sign up there. Three ninety nine a month. You can get texts from myself and from Hoinsey uh, inside uh, little bits of information throughout the week and hold conversations with us. Uh, text your thoughts back to us on, on the Indians and on Major League Baseball's return. Uh, we'd love to hear from you and get your questions answered here, right here every day on the podcast. Uh, 216-208. 4346 is the number to send a text to to get signed up for that. Uh, Doug, it was a, a real pleasure, as always, talking to you, uh, having you uh, stop in on the podcast today. Uh, might need you to pinch hit again later on in the week. I don't know. We're, we're, we've got some uh, some guests we're trying to line up for the rest of the week here, but uh, uh, hopefully we talk to you again soon. Tell Hoinsey that in my first pinch hitting appearance, I popped out the third, but I'm going back up the tunnel. I'm taking some swings. And I am ready to be called upon again. This was this was a solid uh, a solid base hit. Maybe maybe a sacrifice fly, RBI sack fly. I don't know. You, you got you got the run home, man. You did. I got the. I'll take it. You got the whatever run home. it takes, baby. It was a productive at bat. Okay. All right, I'll take Doug, it. we'll talk to you later. Uh, talk to you again on the Cleveland Baseball Talk podcast. <laughs>